0: You're listening to Health Call Live, the area's only live local interactive radio hour devoted to you and your health. Watch the video live stream on the Health Call Facebook page and call us with your questions at 447 1190 or toll free at 800 333 1190. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. So, good morning. So glad to have you with us again. Thanks for making us part of your regular Saturday morning routine. Great to have you here. we begin today with news of FDA approval for a new drug to treat type 2 diabetes that, well, it kind of has another trick up its sleeve. It actually helps people lose really significant amounts of weight. But according to a doctor at Harvard Medical School, unless doctors, Medicare, and health insurance companies change their thinking about obesity, millions of people who could use this drug or similar drugs are never going to get access to it, and are going to continue to carry the weight. And we are talking about a lot of weight, an average of more than 20%. So, imagine this. You're 265 pounds. You've got type 2 diabetes. Your blood pressure is too high, and the extra weight you're carrying makes it hard to climb the stairs or just enjoy doing the things you like to do. You've tried every diet in the world, and you can't lose that weight. Something doesn't work. And then along comes a drug, and you've lost 53 pounds. You look better, you feel better, and losing that much weight could be enough to get your blood pressure down could even reverse your diabetes and change your health for the rest of your life. It all sounds great, but Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford, who specializes in obesity, says while these drugs really do work, only about 1% of people who could benefit from them are able to take them. And she says that is because the healthcare system blames the patient for being obese.
1: Well, you know, I think it goes into really this key issue that we have, and that's the recognition of obesity as a disease. Unfortunately, very few people, when I talk about few people that's starting at the healthcare system, all the way down to the patient level, recognize obesity as a disease. We see it as a failure on the part of the patient um, to eat less and exercise more. And if they don't do that well, then they should just deal with the fact that they have this condition that is really their fault. The problem with that entire thing that I just said is that that's all false. we do know that obesity is a disease, but if we haven't really recognized it as a disease, then we don't treat it as a disease. That means our clinicians, our physicians, our nurse practitioners, our physician's assistants aren't trained to even address it as a disease, despite the fact that it causes over 200 other disease processes. We treat the downstream impacts of obesity, but we don't treat the obesity itself. And so I think that is where the core issue is, is the recognition of obesity as a disease. And since we don't do so, even though we know the pathology, we know the pathophysiology, um, we're gonna continue to fail our patients.
0: So just recently, there was the announcement that a new drug appears to be highly effective over 21% reduction in body weight. The drug is uh, terzepatide. That's correct. Terzepatide, right? It's a GLP-1. Yes. So tell me more about this medication and what is its path for weight loss?
1: Um, these medications act on the brain and we know the brain is the major organ that regulates weight, particularly the hypothalamus. And so this sends signals to the brain via a pathway called the POMC or the pro opio pathway that tells you to eat less and to store less. And when you ramp that up, you can imagine that can be very, very potent for individuals. Um, and that's why we see that really high degree of weight loss that we see with patients with this medication.
0: So this drug, as you said, not yet approved for weight loss, but there are others. We go and and several others that we might be able to talk about. You have a concern that these are not more widely available to patients. Tell me more about that.
1: So, yeah, so the out-of-pocket costs, if you're looking at these medications, and we don't really know the price point yet on well, terms of appetite, even in the type 2 diabetes space because it hasn't yet hit shelves here in the U.S., but if we're looking at Wagovi we'll um, average price point is somewhere between $1,500 to $1,600 U.S. per month, um, that is quite exorbitant um, as an out-of-pocket cost for patients. Um, if the medications are not being covered by insurers, um, you can imagine that that cost will be prohibitive for individuals because most most people don't have necessarily 1600 dollars extra a month to use for one medication and so that's where we're running into issues there are a few private insurers including those in the commonwealth of massachusetts where i reside um, that have decided to cover this broadly on their insurance plan so all of the private insurers at the high tier plans here in massachusetts do cover these medications but we are an exception there are very few states that follow that. And I think a lot of it really has to do with Medicare not covering anti-obesity medications at all. We know that in the United States, Medicare sets the standards um, for coverage of medications. And under Medicare Part D here in the United States, anti-obesity medications are completely excluded from coverage. Medicare sets the standards for private insurers. It sets the standards for Medicaid. Um, and so since they have yet to um, allow coverage of medications, I think is this is why we see the downstream impact here, at least in the U.S., of basically um, limited to no coverage for patients with obesity.
0: So that makes no sense to me. If we're able to get obesity under control, we reduce the risk of cancer, heart attack, stroke, uh, orthopedic joint damage. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We save money, don't we?
1: You know, I, so you're preaching to the choir here. So I am a strong proponent of us, let's treat the disease that causes all the things you just mentioned. I think that's really, really important. Um, And I think that people are unaware of the fact that we can do that. I can tell you, it gives me immense pleasure for my patients that I am able to use these medications for when I'm able to delete diagnoses from their chart. I can think of no other area of medicine where we're actually able to delete diagnoses from patients' charts. But I might be deleting um, arthritis. I might be deleting sleep apnea. I might be deleting type 2 diabetes and cleaning up their list such that the biggest problem I might have is figuring out how do I get paid to see the patient that has resolved their chronic diseases. I think that's a really good problem to have and something that I have to deal with because if I've gotten the patient in good health and actually a pathway to reduced long-stream costs. Like, let's say a patient had a heart attack. Think about the costs that are associated with that. You know, we aren't thinking about all of the, the unfortunate repercussions for untreated obesity. And those chronic diseases that you mentioned are just a few of, you know, the hundreds that we know exist.
0: Yeah, for a physician to put themselves out of business is a good thing for the patient. So
1: yeah. I like it. I like it. That's that's my goal in life is to put myself out of business in terms of seeing patient. I don't know I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but let me tell you, if I did that I would know that I came here and did my job that I was supposed to do.
0: So what is the experience of using these medications? It's a a daily injectable, Andrew, not a daily, but a weekly injectable, right? A a Le Pen-style injection, so you do it at home. Yes. And what side effects are there? How do they actually uh, cause that weight loss to occur, and how soon do I notice the the effects?
1: You know, it varies from person to person. I think it, that's the really key thing when I'm talking to my patients is that not, you know, there's a wide distribution of response, where if you're looking at the terzepidi drug average was about 21% weight loss, semaglutide or Wagovi, we're talking about 15%, but then there's a wide spectrum. So you may have some people losing 30 to 35% of their weight, and then another group losing only 7 or 8%. And a lot of that just has to do with that person's biology and how their biology is working with the medications. But what happens is the patient will give the medication as an injection once weekly, usually somewhere in their abdominal region because that's where we carry some more fat, right? That, that that tissue that's right below the skin surface. And then you just kind of push and then it gives you the amount of medication that you need. It's a gradual titration up to the treatment dose for these medications. And the number one, the number two, the number 20th side effect is what I tell my patients is nausea. Um, GI side effects are the most common side effects. And by GI, I mean anything in the gastrointestinal tract. So nausea is by far the most common side effect. Um, Other side effects people might experience are things like constipation, Or some people may experience diarrhea, so loose watery stools. And so those are kind of the more key side effects that people will experience, but I would say hands down nausea is the most common, affecting a little over 40% of individuals as we dose escalate. Now, once we get to a kind of a treatment dose and, and maintain them at that treatment dose, we notice that the symptoms start to bait. And even as they get used to a particular dose, which they're usually on for about a month before to the next dose, they'll also notice that those symptoms start to wane. And then of course we introduce the newer higher dose.
0: So, okay, some unpleasant side effects as your body adjusts, but most patients on these meds do seem to tolerate them and start losing weight. Now, of course, doctors urge you to exercise, change your diet, but really, it seems to be the medication that can make a difference for some people. Once you stop taking these drugs, what happens? Well, the weight tends to return. Why is that? Why? Does your body fight so hard when you try to lose weight? Why is it that Medicare and insurance companies are refusing to pay for these drugs? We'll hear more from Dr. Fatima Stanford coming up here on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WoWo. You're listening to Health Call Live, your regular Saturday morning appointment with healthcare professionals, where treatment is always painless and there's never a copay. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Our focus this half hour is on new weight loss drugs for people with severe obesity, drugs that work, but less than 1% of eligible patients are able to get them. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford specializes in obesity care, and she says our health care system is just broken when it comes to treating people whose weight puts health at risk. So here's the problem. Medicare and most insurance companies refuse to pay for drugs prescribed for weight loss alone. If you have type 2 diabetes, and your doctor writes a prescription using these drugs to reduce blood sugar, yeah, then they're covered. But if you lose enough weight and you no longer meet the criteria for diabetes, you're left to pay for these drugs out of pocket, up to $18,000 a year. And without these drugs, many people regain weight, potentially becoming diabetic again, so you're in this closed loop. Seems crazy, right? Still, if you're seriously obese, these meds can help. And Dr. Stanford says it's time to talk to your doctor.
1: Well, so I think that you know, you as a patient, you have to be empowered. You have to recognize that just as we use medications to treat any other chronic disease, whether it be diabetes or high blood pressure or even something like eczema or something like this, we have medications that are evidence based and proven, peer-reviewed journals, galore, data that indicates their ability to be effective for patients. And so I would say to my doctor, look, Doc, I've I've really honed in and focused on my diet and lifestyle for a a long time. It appears as though my body is resistant to any shifts in terms of weight. And I'm really, I'm also concerned about maybe other chronic diseases that I'm struggling with. I'd really like to explore the use of anti-obesity medications. um, And I'd love your guidance. And if, if you are unable to guide me, if you can point me In the right direction because this is something that I do plan to pursue. So I think, you know, saying like, this is what I want to do. I'd love for you to be a part of this journey, but if not, I, you know, I will pursue my care um, somewhere where I can get really high level care in this area.
0: So let's talk about that. Um, what is the challenge that keeps me from losing weight? You know, we've seen the stories. We all know someone who really has struggled, tried very hard and just can't get their weight under control. What's What seems to work?
1: Well, it's a variety of things. I think that the key thing is precision and personalization of therapies. Like I said, even for these medications, which are, you know, considered to be the game changers, et cetera, not everyone's a responder. So I have to listen to the different things that may have led this person to gain weight. Maybe it was a strong genetic predisposition to obesity. We know that if you have parents that have obesity, you have a you know fifty to eighty five percent likelihood of having obesity yourself. Even with optimal behaviors surrounding diet and exercise, for example. So maybe that was an issue. Maybe it was hormonal changes, like when someone got, first got their menstrual cycle or pregnancy or menopause. Maybe those things shifted someone into having excess weight. Or maybe they were on medications used to treat other conditions that cause weight gain. I mean, we can keep, we keep going on and on. But when I'm doing my initial appointment with a patient, I'm trying to get a sense of all of those things that may have been likely contributors and begin to address them one by one. But I don't necessarily know what what therapy is going to be effective for them. A lot of trial and error often goes into the work in terms of determining, hey, this is the right medicine or medications, plural, um, and that this, these things work together to ultimately you know, lead to success. The key thing I think we have to recognize is that the brain has decided what it wants your set point or set range of weight to be. And so what happens is, let's say you're 250 pounds, Your body wants to be 250 pounds but let's say you want to be 150 pounds but your body is going to do whatever it can to defend that set point um and you can do things like cutting calories and doing all these things and acutely you know in the immediate um you know time frame you might lose weight but then you're like wait a minute why do i always gain and then get above that set point i think you like i'm going to think of the body as like a gas tank so if your gas tank is already really really large The body's going to do whatever it can to compensate to keep the gas tank full, meaning keep you at the weight that it wants to be. Um, And as we try to do crash diets and what we call weight cycling, something that we don't sustain over the life course, we end up pushing that set point or set range higher and higher over time. So the goal is to find something that works for the patient and maybe several somethings that work for the patient and to sustain it over the life course. That is when we are going to have success.
0: I want to go back to stigma for just a moment and uh, share with the audience that when I contacted you, I I shared an incident of seeing two uh, obese women walking through a parking lot and referred to them in my email to you as morbidly obese. And you snapped back in a positive way, not a negative way, but you called me out on that. So tell me more about the shift in thinking that we really have to get through, not only on the street, all of us, but also everybody in healthcare.
1: Yeah, you know, so I first, you know, I always talk and I usually will open a lecture or anything that I, you know, say, and and I'll tell us to eliminate two words. And the two words that I want us to eliminate universally are the word obese. Um, Obese is a label, obesity is a disease. So you would never call someone an obese person. A person has obesity. So that's one framework or shift in thinking. Um, They are not defined by it yet. They have it and we can help treat that disease. And let's look at this term morbid that we use when we talk about it in terms of obesity. We don't call it morbid COVID-19. We don't call it morbid cancer. We don't call it morbid heart disease yet. We lose people from these things each and every day. Um, And so you can imagine that when we use this term morbid to explain obesity that we're saying that, oh, you only die from the obesity, but not all those other things, which we know to be causative for many deaths here in the US and around the world. So we want to remove that term. So instead we would say a person with severe obesity and language matters because when we talk about a person with obesity and not an obese person, they start to recognize that, oh, wait a minute, this isn't doesn't define me. This is just something that we have to treat, just like we might have to treat their depression or their um, heart disease or whatever else it might be. And so the language is really, really important. We call it people first language. The person is first. The disease is secondary to them as a person. And making sure that we understand that really helps us to move and shift the, bl- the blame and shame game away from the patient themselves, which often has something in their body and their physiology that makes them carry more adipose, adipose is fat than one other person. And it doesn't mean that one person is superior to the other. It just means that one person's body stores more fat. And then why is that? And then how do I help reduce that burden so that they can live the happiest, healthiest life for them?
0: So, do you think the the blame and shame game has an influence on whether or not Medicare is going to be including these meds in uh, the formulary, or is that is that simply a financial matter that we have to kind of get through and get get into the heads of Congress for?
1: I think it's multifactorial. So, I think probably both of those things play a role in why we haven't really seen this shift. I can tell you, we've been trying to introduce a bill called the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act into Congress continuously both on the House and Senate side since 2013. In case you guys are unaware, we are in 2022, which means that we're almost 10 years into this game of introducing the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, which does one key thing. Um, It covers anti-obesity medications under Medicare, in addition to providing um, behavioral therapy for patients with obesity who are under Medicare. Currently in the United States, if you want to work with a dietitian and you have obesity and you're under Medicare, that visit is not covered. However, if you have diabetes, that visit is covered. So you have to get diabetes to then work with a dietician.
0: Yeah, it seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Again, that is Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. She is an obesity medicine specialist at Harvard Medical. I have a link to the uh, Treat and Reduce Obesity Act up on the Health Call Facebook page if you want to have a look, along with a link to the video version of my interview, where we go into a lot greater detail about these drugs and why she says we need to drop the shame game and treat obesity like the chronic disease that it really is. All right, coming up in our next half. Hour, we're going to go off to New York and going to meet a pioneer in the field of microbiome medicine. He says there is one vegetable we should all be eating more of to help the bacteria in our guts protect our brain. Yes, the way to protect your brain, this guy says, is through your gut. So, eating to protect yourself against Alzheimer's, dementia, and other diseases. We have so much more ahead, so I hope you'll stay tuned for the second half hour of the Health Call Live Radio Hour here on Whoa! Whoa!